evening and welcome to Relationship Game Changers. My name is Kim Moore and we welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm so excited that you're here with us. Give me a few moments. Let me get myself situated as I'm trying to do a couple things here and we will just keep it moving. Let's see. All right, there we go. I think we are well, 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 welcome again to Relationship Game Changers. And um, wow, I'm just excited. I'm, I feel privileged that God has given me to be one of the dispensers of this new wine and that you're joining me is an exciting thing. Before I tell you what this wine is, I've got to tell you, meeting weekend, um, like no other weekend that I've experienced, um, I, I can't even remember when. They have this saying called a red-letter day, and red-letter days are days above days. The, you know, they just surpass every day. You don't get a lot of red-letter days, I'm told, but when you have red-letter days, you remember those red-letter days, and I certainly remember some of my red-letter days, certainly when before my kids were born, when I when I won uh, seven gold medals in a college um, swimming championship. And I, I tell you, there was no feeling like that on earth and, and winning those and, and just tapping out another individual for that honor of MVP. Um, I, it, I just can't even explain what that feeling was, but it was a red-letter day. And in the events that I won were the exact uh, events that Mark Spitz in, I think, um, 1980 or so, I can't remember the year, but they were the exact same events that he won and broke records in with was my um, was my honor, and it was a red letter day. But then I I think about you know graduating from college, a red letter day. I mean, then I think about my kids being born, and so these are the red letter days. And there are many 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 more red letter days over the years that I've had. And so this weekend for me was a red letter day. And the reason why it was a red letter day for me is because I, I say all the time that. I, I felt not only my person was received, but the gift that I am to the body of Christ was received. And there's just no feeling like it. I mean, there was a freedom. There was a liberty to minister. I mean, Amy uh, did worship. Um, during, I mean, it was just amazing how God just brought people together from the West Coast, from the East Coast, and from the Midwest, and we came together. And I tell you, we did spiritual warfare. However, we didn't cast out one demon. We didn't, um, we didn't pull down strongholds. We went into a level of and a degree of worship that I have not experienced. And the people there had all said the same thing. It was a red-letter day in the presence of the Father. And so I'm extremely grateful um, for that. And and um, just exciting. And it, it, is, it verifies what I taught there. It, it just the freedom that resulted instantly for the people there. Um, I remember, and I only say this just so that you can un- understand, but on one day I spoke for almost a couple hours, but at the end there was just such a freedom. And the comment was, my gosh, I feel more refreshed than when I sat down. And I'm thinking, we need to take a break. And I tell you, the Spirit of God, where he is, there is liberty, there is freedom, 
and there is a breaking of yokes, and we experienced that this weekend. So I was so glad that I was able to be a part of it and Amy and and, and others. And, and I'm hoping for more of those days as we continue to declare the new wine uh, in the earth, in the body of Christ, and certainly beyond the body of Christ. So let me tell you quickly what that wine is because, you know, we, we talk about the new wine, and I'm not going to teach on Well, I am in, in part going to teach on it, but but just for those of you that may have to jump off a little early or whatever have you, the new wine is simply this. It is sovereign individuals, individuals that are ruling themselves, thinking, weighing information, deciding for themselves. It's about uh, individuals who are owning themselves fully, defining themselves clearly, and surrendering themselves completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that aspect of that wine is that we are becoming the Word of God. So sovereignty and using our sovereignty to surrender all, to become the Word of God. We need the Word of God become flesh in the earth. John 1.14 says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In another part of the Bible, in Colossians, it says that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. So you and I are supposed to be the visible manifestation of an invisible God. And that goes beyond just being a reflection of God. We are actually becoming the word of God, and it will take nothing less than sovereign individuals that are owning themselves fully, defining themselves clearly, and surrendering themselves completely, and becoming the word of God in the earth. And so that is the new wine. And I tell you, when you hear it and when you taste it, and the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this weekend, people were set free, uh, not over years, not that they go have to go home and meditate, literally, and, and maybe Amy will jump on at the end and, and, uh, and just uh, from her perspective, what happened this weekend when this word and what we've been teaching over the last several months, when it hit the hearts of those receptive, it instantly changed the mindset of people. And what we need in the body of Christ today is we need a paradigm shift. We need a mind change. We need a mind change. Why? Because the weapons, as wonderful and as effective as they were in yesterday's war, they will not allow us to prevail in the war in the days ahead. Nothing less than retaining our sovereignty, nothing less than the becoming the word of God will do. And so Jesus became the word of God. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature. He learned what it meant by the things that he suffered. So the, the word of God, he became one with the word of God. Oh, my gosh, think about that. I'm not, he wasn't just declaring the word of God. He wasn't just declaring the kingdom. He had become the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is at hand, and the king of the kingdom is in your presence. So Jesus is the model. He's the pattern whom we're called to follow. He's the manifestation of God's glory in the earth. And God wants to glorify himself again in us. And so we who believe and take an active part, an active part with the spirit of 
We are the manifestation of God's glory in the earth and becoming even more so as we turn our lives over to him. And in order to do that successfully, we need sovereignty. We need ownership of our thoughts. We need ownership of our decisions, and we need ownership of our actions. Um, and, you know, and we need these, and we need this right and this opportunity to govern ourselves. You know, we've been saying that one of the key components of reclaiming our sovereignty is that we must name ourselves. Jesus, when he, when he died and, and, and God raised him from the dead, what he did was not only win our freedom. Galatians 5.1 says that, that he set us free for freedom's sake. He didn't set us free so that we into a religious system. He did set us free so that we could become denominational. He set us free for freedom's sake so that we would have the right and the opportunity to reclaim our sovereignty without we are still slaves. Without our ability to think and decide for ourselves, we're still slaves. I tell you guys all the time, whether you're listening to me, I don't care who you're listening to. Take what they're saying back to, the, to, to God himself. Take it back to him. Weigh it out for yourselves. And if you find that, that it resonates with you and God is speaking to you through it, then by all means, cling to that word and let that word become life to you. And yet, if, if, if it doesn't resonate with you, if God is telling you something else, then by all means, obey the living God. Why? Because that's what you and I will be held accountable to. He won't hold me accountable to what someone else said to me that I tried to live out. He's going to hold me and you accountable to what we hear and what we receive for ourselves from him. And so he wants relationship with us. And I, 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 I'm reluctant to use the word relationship, and here's why. We have relationship with people that we're not intimate with. You do, and I do. You know, I use the example all the time of the, of the people that, uh, that, that take care of my lawn. I have relationship with them, but I'm not, I don't have an intimate relationship. Same with my neighbors. We have relationship, but we don't have intimate relationship. And so there's a difference. God wants intimacy. He doesn't just want relationship. You and I won't be able to become the word of God. The word won't be able to become flesh in us unless we're relating to God at a very intimate level where the spirit of truth can guide you into truth into your own heart. That's why David said that, God, you desire truth in our innermost part, which means the spirit of truth will come to expose the falsehoods that you believe. The spirit of truth will come to expose the lies that you and I believe. And if you don't think, and I don't think we have a lie or we believe things that are not true, that we've learned things as Christians that aren't true and won't hold up in the day of judgment, then we really might want to do some that some different conversation with God. We might want to have a different conversation with God because he wants our hearts, not our head. He wants your intimacy. He wants the part of you that you're withholding from him. He wants the part of you that you don't want to share with anybody else. He wants the part of you that makes you afraid to even think about. He wants the part of you that doesn't even want to go there. And so that's intimacy. And when we come into the place where we're willing to be vulnerable with God, then the spirit of 
truth can do what he's best at and deliver us from every lie from the pit of hell so that we can walk as carriers of his glory in this hour. And so we must be able to govern ourselves. And part of governing ourselves is naming, naming ourselves and specifically renaming our souls. And why do I say that? I say that we, need, we, we must get into the renaming um, work of our souls because many of us have been given insulting names. Things have happened to us that are, that are evil, that are wrong, that are sinful. People have done things, and as a result, it has left shame and guilt within us and, and labels that are not useful to who you are as a kingdom citizen. And sometimes, you know, other people just mislabel us. They get us wrong. They don't understand us. And so, you know, and, and I understand it. I, I, I know that firsthand. I know that firsthand that it's difficult to be misunderstood. It's difficult to be mislabeled by other people, people that really don't know you. That's why you need people in your life that, not, that know you beyond what you do, but know your heart. The Bible says, know no man according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then sometimes we mislabel ourselves. You know, we take on names and things that we think are cute, but then when we grow up, they're not cute at all. You know, one word, my, my granddaughter came over um, a few months ago, and we were all outside, the neighbors, and there were kids, and she was, she's five, and she was hiding behind my leg. And I said, what's wrong, Honor, because with, with me, with, with John, with Amy, and, you know, just the family, she's not, you know, shy um, and quite is quite capable of telling you exactly what she thinks, and she likes to play games where she gets to tell me what to do. So this is not a little girl that's not um, that doesn't understand what she thinks and is not able to say it. So she, I said, why why are you hiding? There are kids here. She said, Mimi, I'm just shy. And so she clung to me. So we went in the house and we sat down and we started playing some toys. And I said, Honor, what does shy mean? And so she says, well, I'm just shy like that, Mimi. I'm just shy. I don't know. I said, Honor, I said, so when you get around all of these people, is it that you're, you're, you're shy or are you afraid? I said, because you started clinging to my leg and holding on real tight as if something were going to happen to you or as if Mimi was going to let something happen to you. She said, well, I'm just shy. And so she wasn't ready to admit that she was afraid because she had this cute little word called shy. And when, when kids are young, and even now, when you hear those words, oh, she's just shy. No, that's fear. And so I'm saying all that to say that she's mislabeling, or we mislabel things as cute, that when we grow up, we will have to contend with, and that shy person will have to contend with fear, because shy is fear. Shy just sounds a whole lot nicer. It sounds cuter when we're younger. And then, as I said, sometimes we self-label ourselves. We're critical. We, we condemn ourselves. We can't handle a compliment. I mean, we, you know, well, it wasn't all that. Well, I really wasn't all that much. And we just talk ourselves down versus just saying thank you. Some of us have difficulty receiving help, and so we have to be on the giving end. And we, and we relate Christianity with, with giving, not receiving. But my Bible talks to me, and the kingdom is about receiving. And there are plenty of scriptures that talk about receive the kingdom. And so before we can give out of the kingdom, we have to receive. 
But labeling, name calling, whether others do it to you, whether you're in a circumstance or whatever have you, you know, name calling, it steals your identity. It robs you of who you are and who God intended you to be. It kills your motivation. And in some cases, it, 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 it kills your motivation to not want to be your best, not want to do your best. And worse than all, sometimes it just destroys your desire to even make an effort. You've been so criticized in an area or somebody's come behind you and fixed it so often, you don't even try to do anything because you just conclude it's not going to be good enough or I'm not going to be able to do that, so why try? Well, I don't know anybody that got good at anything without making an effort, without putting an honest effort into what they desired um, to do or to be. And so if we're honest with ourselves, you know, we could all use some renaming. We could all use some renaming. And I think it goes beyond just giving and accepting titles. It's so much deeper than accepting a title. And um, it's, each, it's up to each one of us to do the renaming. Why? Because God has given me one life to steward. He's given me one soul to govern, my own. And therefore, I'm in charge. My spirit is in charge of teaching my soul who she is in God, who it is, who I am, who I am, who she is in, God, in the spirit of God. See, my spirit knows who I am. It's my soul that has to learn who I am and unlearn some of the things I think I am. And no one else has God given this responsibility to but you and me. So if we don't take seriously the work of remaining, then how will you and I be conformed to Christ? How will we become the visible manifestation of the invisible God in the earth? How? How? Somebody has to take responsibility for our soul. And if we're taking responsibility for everybody else, and if we're serving everybody else, my question is, who's serving your soul? Who's claiming ownership for your soul? So each of us, this work we've been called to as kingdom citizens, anything else, is pretense. Anything other than trying, anything else, I don't like the word trying because trying means you're not, but anything other than you and I taking on the responsibility of reclaiming our sovereignty, governing ourselves completely, defining ourselves clearly, renaming ourselves, and surrendering ourselves fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ is pretense. Let me say that one more time because that's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but it's true. If you were doing anything in place of owning yourself fully, and we talked about what that meant, and, and, and we won't go into it today, but we, we've talked about what that meant before. But if you're doing it in place of, of owning yourself fully, your past, your present, and your future, defining, naming, renaming your soul clearly, and surrendering yourself completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, it's a pretense. It's a form of godliness that denies the power of God in your own life. Oh, my gosh. And a form of godliness will not be able to prevail against the things that we face in the future. So when we rename our soul, 
as I said, we're redefining ourselves or we're defining ourselves. We're setting, we're establishing ourselves. And in some cases, we're changing the very trajectory of our lives. Oh, my gosh, what a work we've been called to. God has given us back our souls and the freedom and the right to reclaim our sovereignty and declare who we are. And why do we need to do that? I need to teach my soul, my spirit. See, I'm a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. My spirit, which is the word, the word of God is spirit. My spirit is responsible for teaching my soul, and my soul is responsible for teaching my body. Oh, my gosh. That is the work that we're called to if we're going to be conformed to Jesus Christ in the earth. Everything else that is sustainable will flow out of that. And Jesus said it this way. He said, at the day of judgment, many will say, I did all of these things in your, in your name. And you know what? Jesus isn't going to disagree with them. He's absolutely going to agree with them because some have done many things, wonderful things in their name. But then he's going to say, I never knew you. I never knew your soul. I never had the pleasure of meeting you in the depth of your soul. I never had the opportunity to exchange your lives for truth. I never had the opportunity to bring you to a place where you didn't feel like you had to defend yourself when someone has a problem with you. Oh, my God. I hate I sent you people. I tried to give you feedback about yourself, but you defended your actions. I tried to bring you into a deeper experience of my love, but you didn't have time because you were working. You were trying to serve me. And you did, but you lost your soul in the process. So I just hear God calling his people, even now, you and me, to a deeper level of intimacy that everything else can flow out of that. See, when we rename our souls as Jesus did, we're calling and authorizing the spirit of God to aid us in becoming that very thing. For example, and I've given this before, and and I'm going to move on from this example because there's so many other things we can talk about. But we've often talked about the bread. In John 6.35, Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. At the direction of his father, because remember, he said he only does what he sees his father do, and he only says what he hears his father say. So we have to conclude at the instruction and direction of his father, he developed, he instituted and developed the practice and the habit of blessing, breaking, and serving bread. He did so in small group, and he did so in large group, and he did so with the masses on two occasions. So my question to you is this, was Jesus teaching his disciples the practice of breaking bread, or was the Father teaching Jesus what would happen to him as the bread of life? I ask that because 
At the moment Jesus was teaching, the disciples did not have need for that information. They had need of the living word that was in their presence. But as I said before, Jesus had to learn. He grew. So he was learning what would become of him. He was becoming something. And so when he declared himself the bread of life in agreement with the Father and began to practice blessing, breaking, and being served, I believe the Father was teaching him what would happen to him. The same could be said when the first miracle he did was at a wedding. And when the Father was teaching Jesus, every man at the beginning, teaching him, teaching him, sets out the good wine, but when the guests have well drunk the inferior, but I have saved the best for last. Oh, that's a, that's a, a message we could unpack all on its own because the Father, oh, my gosh, I, I'm going to stay, stay here because I want to. To, to keep us on track. But that's another instance where the father was teaching Jesus about himself and about the people he would encounter, the people that he would end up ministering to. See, we assume that Jesus knew everything. But my Bible says he had to learn. He had to grow. And oftentimes that learning came through difficult times, circumstances, through rejection. Yeah. Yeah, so God is not going to remove all of the things that challenge us or the people that challenge us because he intends for us to grow through them and become what he's called us to be. In either case, whether you believe that, that Jesus was blessing and breaking bread for the disciples to show the disciples and teach the disciples, or whether you believe that the Father was teaching Jesus what would happen to him, and having him practice, um, in either case, by Jesus declaring that he is the bread of life, he authorized the Father to begin making him the bread. And when you and I name and rename ourselves that something God is, then in the same manner, we are authorizing, we are calling God, we are invoking God, we are authorizing the Father to begin making us that very thing. Why? Because God is faithful to his word. And when you declare yourself an attribute or something of God, then he sets about making it and creating the opportunities and putting people in your life so that that thing can be established in you. So 2 Timothy 2.13 says that God cannot deny himself. So one of the things we did this weekend is that um, we took Galatians 5, and you can read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and there are many things that are called the fruits of the Spirit, nine to be exact. And each one of those things represents an attribute of God. And so what we did this weekend was each person had to answer this statement, and you can do this too at home. That's what I love about God. He teaches practically. So you can do this exercise yourself. But we had them write on a piece of paper, I am, and then they had to pick one of the fruits of the Spirit. And they, their whole, their name, their new name was that fruit. I had picked love. I said, I am love. 
somebody else, and I should have. And then after that, the, the Lord convicted me because I needed to pick. He was inviting me <laughs> to declare myself forgiveness. So now my new name is forgiveness. And I was like, well, God, I don't want to say that out loud to people because they're going to think I have all these people to forgive. And, and I just, you know, and oh, my gosh, they're going to be praying sympathy prayers for me and, and that God would give me the grace to forgive people. And God said, I want you to become forgiveness for where you're going. Because when you're creating a paradigm shift, there will be opposition even from those in your own household. Even in the household of faith, whenever God began to change the trajectory, there was opposition. There was opposition to Moses. There was opposition to um, Samson. There There was opposition. You name any figure that God used. There was opposition when God was changing the trajectory or the paradigm that he wanted his people to walk in. Why? Because the people understood the will of God, but the paradigm shifter understood the way of God. And so what we did this weekend is I said, I am forgiveness. There's some people that declared they were self-controlled. There were others that said one person said that she was long-suffering. Another said that she's patient. And then somebody said, well, you don't want to say patience because that means you're going to get trials. Listen, we're going to all get trials when you declare yourself to be something. When your sovereignty, when your ability to think, speak, and declare who your soul is, it will always invite opposition. And the reason why it invites opposition is because you don't grow muscles with little adversity. It is adversity. It is the It's the opportunity of adversity in which you develop muscles. That is true physically, it is true emotionally, it is true mentally, and it is true spiritually. So whether it's patience, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's long-suffering, you know, if if it's forgiveness, I'm going to have to experience hurt and offense and understand that the forgiveness that I have become is endless. Let me just say this uh, in, in, in saying that. Many people, and I'm speaking to you if you have a challenge with forgiveness, you've been trying to forgive somebody for a really, really long time, and you are earnestly trying to forgive somebody. I mean, you're really, there's no fault in your heart. Your heart, your desire is to forgive that person. And you do it for a minute, and, and then you hear, you know, you just got to keep saying it. You just got to keep saying, I forgive. You might have to do it 70 times, seven, 70 times seven in a day. And I'm like, God, that is absolutely ridiculous. Nobody can forgive somebody 70 times seven in one day. So that can't be me telling someone who's having difficulty to forgive, oh, just keep forgiving. You haven't reached 70 times seven in one day. It is impossible for a human being to do that. But when you're trying to forgive, you're working with a limited supply or ability. So that will be when you're saying, I'm trying to forgive. I hope you guys can see this bottle. I'm going to hold it up. This is you. This is your human being. This is your container. Forgiveness is the water on the inside. The thing about this container Yep, you have the will to forgive. You have the desire to forgive. The problem is you poured some out this morning. You poured some out, and by the time you get to 70, there's no – by the time you get to 50, there's no more water 
in the container to forgive, and you have 20 more times to go. So how often it's not possible for you in and of yourself to forgive. But when you have become forgiveness, because the Father is forgiveness, now your supply does not come from yourself. It comes from your Father, and so your supply is endless. So now I am forgiveness. Seventy times seven, I can go beyond that. Why? Because it's I now am living in the forgiveness of God. I am not only forgiving, I am forgiveness. I'm not trying to forgive. I am forgiveness. The Father is forgiveness. He doesn't try to forgive. The Christian life is meant to be one of ease, not one of difficulty, which doesn't mean difficulty won't come to you and I. It just means that some of the things we're trying to work in our human strength and are failing is not the design of God. God wants us to become the word, to become his attributes, so that we will have an endless supply of whatever is required. If he wants us to be patient, waiting won't become a difficulty that it is for many of us because because we have the weight of the Lord, the patience of the Lord, and we have become patient. We're not trying to be patient. We are patient. Oh, my God. It is a paradigm shift because now he does the work, not us. That's what Jesus said. My father has been working up until this present hour, and I have entered in. How did he enter in? By declaring himself the attributes of God and what God called him. Jesus did not declare himself a prophet. He did not declare himself an apostle. And I only say these things not to offend because we have need of these. I say these things only to say that they are not attributes of God. They are titles and, and functions that people walk in. So becoming a prophet won't enable you to prevail in the days ahead, but becoming love will, becoming forgiveness will, becoming self-control. And you know what happened? Once we did that exercise, we started referring to each other by the name, the spirit name that God had given us when we prayed and answered that, that statement, I am, and we began calling each other that. And so it was crazy what was happening is because a seed, the word is a seed, was planted in each of our souls, and as we called each other that, we were watering the seed in each other. And so even now I wrote a card to one of the, the ladies that were there, and I, I addressed the, the, the inside of the card. I said, self-control. What a pleasure. I so appreciate self-control. Now what did I just do? I watered her, but now I'm receiving. Oh, my gosh. You guys, if you don't hear the Spirit of God in this, then I tell you what, he wants to fire you and me so that he can be God in our lives, so that the glory of God can manifest in us who are his containers. And so when we declare ourselves an attribute of God, bread, we talked about Jesus declared himself the bread. He declared himself light. But God declares himself love. The Holy Spirit declares himself truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So when we declare I am truth, that means I am responsible to show up truthfully. That means it is I, I am naturally 
putting myself against lies and falsehoods. Because if I am true, I'm truth, that means that everything I say, everything I do, and everything I think now must line up with truth. OMG. Do you understand the power of what's happening? That is sustainable change. It's happening. And there are testimonies already to declare this very thing that I'm telling you. And so when we become the word of God, then we also manifest. And, and so what does Romans 8 says? The world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. It does not say that the world is waiting for the manifestation of the apostles or the prophets or the teachers or the evangelists. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And who are the sons of God? They that are sovereign individuals governing themselves, owning themselves fully, defining themselves clearly, surrendering themselves completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they are becoming the word of God, in whom the word of God is becoming flesh and blood. John 17, 6 says this, I have revealed your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. What did he say? I revealed your name. Well, which name of God did he reveal to you, and what are the attributes of that name? Because that is what God is wanting you to declare over yourself. Does that mean we're God? No. It means I'm sharing in the attributes of God. I will never be God. I will never be Jesus. I will never be the Holy Spirit. They are sovereign individual beings, each one of them with a personality. It's not my desire to be any of those. It's my desire to be who God called me to be and share in the attributes of each one of them. And so Jesus is saying, I've done what you've asked me. I've revealed your name. The challenge is we haven't taught this, and so we're trying to be things we're not operate in gifts that have not been given to us, and walk in titles that aren't necessarily um, correspond with our assignment, and we're going after things that aren't necessary to fulfill our, fulfill our assignment. John 17, 20 through 21 says this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. May they also be be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. How will the world believe unless we are one, meaning that the attributes of Jesus Christ, the attributes of the living God, the attributes of the Holy Spirit are resident in us, and we are manifesting them in our spheres of influence, in, in the earth, in whether small, whether in marriages, whether in families, whether in small group, whether in church, whether in large group, or whether in, excuse me, in mass. We become the visible manifestation of the invisible God and share in the work of our big brother, Jesus Christ, and our fiancé, Jesus Christ. So becoming the word of God as Jesus did and as God calls us to, because, again, he is our leader. He is our king. He is the, the kingdom representation. The kingdom, I don't even say representation, because he is God. <laughs> I mean, God, God was in him. 
reconciling the world to himself. He is God come in the flesh. So if we're going to become the word, if the word of God is going to become flesh in us, oh, my gosh, we've got to move beyond just having the word or possessing the word. We must move beyond just confessing a scripture. We must move beyond just declaring and decreeing a word. We can no longer just think and meditate on the word. All of these things are important. But becoming the word of God, the word of God becoming flesh in us, literally means that the word metabolizes in this mortal being in the same way food that you digest becomes part of your body. So my question is to you, if you ate lunch today, can you distinguish the meal now that it has been digested in your body? No? No. Listen, even your digestive tract, even in digestion, your body only begins to differentiate the quality of food that went down when the systems in the body begin to process it and try to process it according to the laws and the way God made us, does the system accept, accept, reject, or accept but causes problems in our body? Oh, my gosh. So the word of God is meant to be digest the attributes of God. And, and when I talk about the attributes, more important to God right now today is your character than your ministry. Your character, why? Because your character is about you and I acquiring the attributes of God and becoming those attributes and not merely talking about them. As I said, Romans eight nineteen says, the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Wow, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. You and I must become the word of God. Why? Because the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will remain. The Bible says that God lifts his word above his name. God is also his word. The Bible says that word is spiritual. So when we take on the word, the attributes of God, then we are becoming eternal. We are growing in eternity. Why? Because the heaven and earth will pass away, but the word will not. The Bible says it this way. If you, if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap the whirlwind. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap life and peace. So when we talk about the gospel of the kingdom, the Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom is within you. And so, again, we are charged to become the word of God. In one instance, um, uh, Paul had a thorn in his flesh and asked God three times to remove it, and God would not remove it. Why? And, it, and Paul gives the explanation. He says, it was this, this, this thorn was given to me by Satan. So God didn't give him a thorn, but it was given to me by Satan. Lest I become puffed up. Lest I think more highly of myself than I ought. And so there are things that happen in you and my life that God is not going to necessarily remove 
or deliver you from. I know that's controversial, but it's to help maintain you and my humility in the graces and the things that God has called us to walk in when we become successful. Well, I've said a lot tonight, and I'm going to stop there and just ask, Father, in Jesus' name, honor your word. You said your word would not go out void, but it would accomplish what you set it out to accomplish, and it would prosper in the things that you have sent it. And so, Father, I ask you that whoever receives your word, right now, that those that are present and those that hear this by replay, those that receive your word, Cause it, Lord, not to be void, but fill it, God. And those that take the challenge and declare, I am, and pick one of the fruits of the Spirit and purpose to be that and to declare, I am love. I am self-control. Oh, my gosh, what a mighty army you're assembling in this hour. An army of people, God, that own themselves fully a people that are defining themselves clearly, a people that are surrendering themselves completely to their Lord, to your will, to your way, and are manifesting the living word of God that yokes would be broken, that they become a sign, a wonder, and a miracle that you can set in the midst of Lord's circumstances, and because they are a sign, wonder, and miracle, God, that they would manifest the signs, wonders, and miracles that Jesus did. I thank you for that. I thank you, Father God, for the faithfulness of those that regularly get on this call. I ask you, Lord, that you would honor their faithfulness in a special way. Bless them. Lord, I give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amy? Yes. Hello, forgiveness. <laughs> Praise God. I, I receive it. I, I am self-control. Wow. That's powerful. You might want to share, I don't know if you want to tonight or another time, how just that proclamation has impacted your life at some level. And I know we don't you know, necessarily want to go into in deep detail, but I just know, I see it, I observe it, and I just applaud the work of the Lord in your life. I applaud the work of his hands. I can say this just with everything you've said. Those of you who are going to take the challenge and pick a fruit and declare you are that fruit, stand in the mirror and just declare it to yourself. Like for me, I am self-control. And every time I say that throughout the day, it's amazing how God really does just come in because his word never returns void. And there's no law against the fruit. Of the and it's spirit. who he is. So no matter, it's who he is. It's who he so, is, and, and there's nothing, no matter where you are, your circumstance, who you are. I mean, everywhere you go, anywhere you're at, in any circumstance, um, you are that that God said you are. So he is he is that he is love he is joy he is peace he is self-control he is meekness so he will come in his word never returns void it's amazing it it's life-giving he is life-giving and it's immediate so 
start now. <laughs> Don't even wait till tomorrow. Start now. It's amazing. I can say it really you. is immediate. It really is immediate. I, I I have to agree with you. I mean, it's just it it's it's His grace, and that grace multiplies to you because that's what the Bible says: grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so this is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the mind of Jesus Christ. And so when we are declaring, as Amy said, standing in the mirror and saying, I am forgiveness, God hastens to his word. He doesn't like to be apart from his word. And when there is a soul that is purely wanting him and declaring that they are an attribute of his, he cannot deny himself. And so it's instant. It's instant. It's just, it's, it's powerful, powerful, powerful. I didn't mean to cut you off, Amy, but it's no, powerful. And, I didn't think you said it. <laughs> and it's the fruit of our lips. So it's the fruit yeah. of my lips to say, I am self-control. It's the fruit of my lips. Well, you know, the that even fruit. brings, it, it is it's the first fruit. And it, the Bible talks about that, that we offer, to offer the fruit of our lips as a sacrifice of praise. And you can say, well, gosh, you know, Kim, how is, you know, how, let's just take something. How is self-control a sacrifice and praise? Well, it's not the self-control that's the sacrifice and the praise. What the sacrifice is when you declare yourself self-control, you remove, you, you, you deny yourself and you relieve yourself and you remove any um, lack of self-control or irresponsibility or just undisciplined, now that becomes, if that is a way that a person has lived in a particular, and we can all use self-control. So this is not just about Amy because there are areas in my life that I could use self-control. That's just not the first word he gave me. But there is enough to go around, guys. So when I say this, so when you're giving up self-control, when you're saying I am self-control, the sacrifice is in you continuing to live in, in an unrestrained life, an uncontrolled life, and that's a sacrifice because if you have been received any blessing reward from living uh, an, an unrestrained life, and there is, and the Bible says sin has a pleasure for a season. So there's a pleasure in living out of control or unrestrained in an area. So you are actually, when you declare yourself self-control, you are also sacrificing an unrestrained life. And if you have grew up on an unrestrained life or lived in an unrestrained manner, you trust me, you're going to feel that sacrifice from time to time. It'll get easier, but you'll feel it. And that sacrifice is a praise to the Lord. It's a praise to God. So offer the first fruit. Offer the fruit of the first fruit of your lips is to declare an attribute of who he is. And when you do, you will be driving out. You won't be fighting against what you're not. You'll be becoming fully who you are. Mm, that's good. It is good. And? Those of you who are thinking really hard about which one to pick, you can always go deeper in the Lord. So any one of the ones you pick, he always has more of that for us, which is the other beautiful thing. We, I mean, we can always just keep feasting in the Lord. He always has more of all of it, which is so great. Oh, he is so good. He is so good. And this, this word is life-changing and life-giving right now in the moment. Mm, so thank you, Kim. This is so good. And I want to give the replay number 
for those of you who are not watching by YouTube or listening by podcast, if you want to dial in, the replay number is 605-475-4980. The access code is 341-000-POUND. And tonight's reference number is 172-POUND. Kim, do you have any final words? No, I'm excited because, like I said, in a weekend, I mean, you didn't say anything about the weekend, but was the change obvious in people? Yes. I think the biggest thing was life. Um, I heard everyone comment, regardless of what they picked, along with, I mean, this weekend was so amazing. I think that instead of exhaustion or tiredness, I heard the one thing I heard from everyone was that they left refreshed, not tired, um, just refreshed. And you, you can't deny life and power when it's happening. You may not have all the words to describe it, but you know it. You know it. You know when there's life. You know when there's power. And there, there are power in the words. There's life lived. And so that was the biggest thing, seeing life, seeing power, um, refreshing. It's, for me, it's tasting and seeing that he is good and in a tangible way. So I can't wait to hear what God does in your life this week just by picking and focusing on one of his attributes that can become yours. All right. I mean, wow, guys, that's all, that's all we got for you that's, tonight. That's I, what we have. <laughs> we love that's you. That's what we have. We, you know, if, 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 if something you heard was uh, impacted you, always share. When you receive, share. When you receive, share. Why? Because then you don't get stopped up. And so if you heard something that made sense to you, if you heard something different that you didn't hear, listen, the new wine is different. We can't keep asking for new wine and then, uh, and then not taste it or look for it or it be something, um, you know, something old repackaged. No, God is sending new wine to his people. He's adding it to our arsenal of weapons. And so, yeah, share, share. If God leads you to do that, then certainly share. And I say, you know what, if God leads you to do that. But listen, guys, you know, I mean, we don't have to be deep and super spiritual about things. If you heard something that challenged you, inspired you, or even provoked you, you know, share it, discuss it. Why? Because that's how we grow and become. And so, yeah, that's all I would say to you. Amy, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) That is right. I echo that. And by share, we don't mean just share the call or this message, but share your life and what he's doing in you with someone, whether it be by phone, face-to-face, just share what he's doing in your life. We do. We love you. We can't wait to see you next week. So for now, I will say good night. Good night, everybody.